1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Uh, and we're going to mind our P's and Q's because this is a family show. So, everybody, don't get all excited like we're going to drop the, the S word or anything like that. Snacks. Or nuts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just said it. Oh. Uh, we're going to keep it clean. But we are talking about some dirty, dirty stuff. Stuff that should never be uttered by anyone. And uh, I, for one, would like to tip my hat to tip gore for being uh, an American hero of all time. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny. As I was reading some of this. And this is we're talking about the PMRC, as everyone will soon find out. Yeah. Um, and Ed put this one together. Um And he points out that, yes, if you look at this, the stuff that they were trying to do, the Parents Music Resource Center, they were basically saying, like, we need to be able to have a heads up that this record album has um lyrics on it that we wouldn't want our little eight-year-old kid to listen to. Yeah. That's really all we're asking for. Well, that's not true. Though. The thing is, is that's not all they were asking for. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope of doing that where <clears throat> you're – you're basically ringing the the dinner triangle for anybody who's got a beef with any dirty lyrics or any worldview that opposes theirs to come out and say, yeah, I like that idea. And while we're at it, let's put them in jail if they don't comply. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's too late. The cat's out of the bag. And this all happened in real life in the 80s, which, by the way, I'm on record as saying the 70s were the greatest decade of all time. Yeah. I think the 80s were one of the most interesting, at least. Yeah. A lot of wacky stuff went down in the 80s. You got the satanic panic. Yeah. The whole backmasking thing that was kind of part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got this. Um, a bunch of other stuff happened in the <laughs> 80s, too. Uh, space shuttle program was going pretty strong. There was a shuttle disaster, even. I mean, like, it was an interesting, provocative decade. Yeah. So there you have it, Chuck. There's the intro.
1: Yeah, this is uh, This was a commissioned piece because I remember very distinctly uh, all of this going on sure. when I was younger and paying pretty close attention as a music fan mm-hmm. uh, what was happening and not getting, the, as a kid, that it was it meant more than a, an explicit lyrics label. Right. You know, there was more at stake.
0: But also, as a kid, you probably were, were exclusively like, hey, man, they can't do that. That's not cool. That's censorship without understanding the nuance of that. The other position as well, right?
1: Uh, no, I was too young to spout soapboxy things like
0: that. Right. So you're just like <laughs> flipping off like newspaper pictures of Tipper Gore in your bedroom.
1: No, I mean I was I was little. I mean uh, I was. Well, I mean like, how old were you? I was like eleven or twelve. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't a discerning reader of the newspaper. Uh-huh. I didn't know who Tipper Gore
0: was. Oh, you didn't? No, I Were, knew, you, were I mean, you? Yeah, I knew who Tipper so like Gore eight was. Eight years old, and oh, you were, you knew <laughs> Tipper <or> Gore was. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was on, like, Donahue and all of these shows. Like, it was a big deal. Yeah. She was the face of this whole thing. Yeah, I knew who Tipper Core was. I, not to imply that I was any more discerning than <laughs> you were as far as reading newspaper. I mean, I,
1: I knew her name, but I certainly had no idea who she was yeah. or what any of this meant at that age.
0: Well, some people say knowing her name and, by proxy, her husband's name was the whole point of all this. But we'll get to that later.
1: Yeah, so the Parents Music Resource Center... Um, well, I mean, it was sort of an extension of the 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 grand tradition of adults saying that new music is bad for kids. Sure, and that's been happening since there's been music. Yeah, it what's, still goes what's on today. What's this
0: chamber music, Amadeus? Maybe <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> I mean, it's it all. I, we we should do an episode just on that. I'm being threatened by of for, with getting old.
1: Threatened by youth,
0: I guess. Yeah. But I think it's – you're projecting onto youth where you're really threatened by your your imminent mortality is what it is. Yeah, and you're just projecting it onto the next generation because it's weird and strange and you're being pushed out of the – out of control.
1: Well, this – we can find the origins of the PMRC in this case. <clears throat> uh, in 1984, when Tipper Gore's daughter, uh, I think she was 11, um, turned on her new Prince album mm-hmm. – and the song, a very awesome song, Darling Nikki came on with the very famous line about masturbation. And, uh, I, I remember being a young church kid thinking like, whoa, I probably shouldn't be listening to this.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. It was a dirty, dirty song. Did you keep listening? Uh, yeah. Cause it's a, it's a great song. It is a great song. Yeah. And, uh, if you put it even further, it's a great song on its own, but in context with the movie Purple Rain, that song shows up, uh, Because Prince is trying to humiliate his girlfriend, uh, who he's just struck um, because he found out that she was working for Morris Day, which is Prince's rival in Purple Rain. Right. So, like, it's a a song to humiliate her, right? On its own, it's a great song. It is a a, a racy song, but it also has context that Tipper Gore didn't have at her fingertips when she listened to that song.
1: Yeah, and she wrote a book a few years after that— and I don't remember. I didn't own this book. You didn't read that
0: book when you were eleven. I read it when I was eight.
1: No, I was sixteen <laughs> by this point. Uh, but I remember I had it for some reason. I might have done a some sort of school thing on this.
0: On the PMRC, I, the yeah, whole thing.
1: Because I definitely had a copy of this book, and That's it wasn't like because I was like, "This is great and awesome." Like I, I read it for some school project, huh. but it was called "Raising PG Kids in, in an X-Rated Society." And uh, in it, she talks about how not only was she worried and afraid for her kids, but she was afraid herself about just these images that she was seeing on MTV,
2: mm-hmm.
1: an Ozzy Osbourne crawling out of a swamp mm-hmm. as a swamp beast. Right. And instead of laughing at that, like everyone else on the planet, <laughs> sure, it scared her.
0: Or just um, taking it as part of the your formative years that you eventually grow out of and don't do... Aren't, aren't brought to worship or hail Satan as a result.
1: Yeah, because she was a drummer. I mean, she was a she musician. Was in an
0: was... all-woman all uh, band called the Wildcats.
1: Yeah, so she, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, a lot of this is surprising.
0: It is very surprising. And it's not like she was, you know. She's just... a Democrat. Yeah. You know. Well, so here's the thing. The, from what I've seen, if you were on the industry side of this, the opposing side to the PMRC, yeah. at the time, um, you were pretty convinced, and I think some people still are, that the, the whole thing, that yes, Tipper Gore was like, this is this is terrible, I can't believe I listened to this with my 11-year-old, and said something to some other, some other uh, people she was friends with around Washington, and they were like, you know, we should do something about this. It would probably help Al's... Um, Exposure to the nation and get them ready for a run at the presidency, and that that was actually like this, the 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 impetus for this whole quagmire was to make Al Gore a prominent national figure. Oh, really? That's what a lot of people think. This interesting. was. interesting. I never heard that. And whether that was Tipper and Al's idea or whether they were kind of led into it, right? Depends on you know who you are, but that's um that's that's very much. Out there in the zeitgeist that that was the whole basis of this entire thing.
1: Huh. Well, I don't buy that. Um, and in fact, at the uh, pre-PMRC uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, there was a school PTA group, the Delshire Elementary School PTA,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who also heard Darling Nikki and also didn't think that it was just a great jam. And they got all up in arms about it and drafted a statewide association letter uh, that basically said, hey, uh, Recording Industry Association of America, we're just going to call it the RIAA probably on this show. But um, maybe you should have a voluntary system of ratings, kind of like movies do with the MPAA. What's the big deal?
0: Right, and they're like, call us back. We want to talk about it. And the IRAA never called them back.
1: Yeah, they said we'll get right on that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because they don't, they they want to do that. They were scared of this idea to begin with. They were really worried it was going to hurt sales. If you have like a an, an album that specifically says this is not for kids there are some stores in some parts of the country that just won't carry that album, and you want to be able to sell those albums. You want to either have albums that a store would be happy to sell, or at least slide it in underhandedly so the stores don't know what they're selling, Yeah, and just the kids do. Um, So they were afraid of this kind of idea, but they also I mean, it's the music industry in the 80s. Like, they could afford to be like, be quiet, Cincinnati school district, we're not listening to you. For sure. When Tipper Gore came into the mix with some of her friends from Washington, Washington, um, the the dynamics of it changed for a number of reasons, not just because they were connected to government, but because the RIAA and government specifically um, had something going on.
1: Yeah, so they formed the PMRC in, mm-hmm. uh, on May 15th, 1985. Mm-hmm. They got a grant from Mike Love of the Beach Boys, <laughs> which that... is just further cements him as one of the leading jerks in the history of music.
0: So wh- why is he a jerk? Because I saw that and I was like, why was Mike Love doing that? And I know, I know, he wasn't the Manson one. That was Dennis, wasn't it? The one who hung out with the Manson family for a little that, while? That
1: was Dennis Wilson. Okay. Summer, yeah.
0: Why is Mike Love a jerk?
1: Because God made him that way. I mean, he's just that way? <laughs> no, I mean, he's 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 a notorious, I mean, I can't use words that I want to use, but mm-hmm. he is a, just Google Mike Love jerk. Okay. And go down the rabbit hole of, of stories about uh, this guy.
0: Does he yell, like, at basketball players courtside and stuff? Like, that kind of jerk? Or?
1: No, he's just—you he, just go read some articles. All right, fine, he's just, I'm going to. He's just a jerk.
0: I wish I had already.
1: Uh, so it does not surprise me that he gave $5,000 to kick off the PMRC. Uh, but what you were talking about is, is the tape tax, mm-hmm. which was very interesting at the time— um, the recording industry was suffering, or not suffering, but they were just beginning to struggle a bit with the fact that um, cassette tapes uh, were pretty inexpensive. Yep. Um, or they could be super cheap if you got really cruddy ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the the neon see-through ones, those were expensive. The Max L's?
1: Yeah, I had the black Max
0: L's. But do you remember, like, the see-through ones They had, like, kind of fluorescent and neon colors to them? No. Like, the kind that Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen find in uh, Men at Work? No, I haven't seen that either. Oh, they were great. You <laughs> never saw Men at Work? No. It's a good one. Is it? mm
1: mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so they, people were, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, you made tapes. You'd recorded stuff off the radio. You made mixtapes. If your friend had a tape, you would dub that tape. Yep. You would set it in front of your speaker and record your albums.
0: Do you remember figuring out how to record tapes that had been made so you couldn't record them? There was like a a way that you could break off a tape. There were like these two things, and if they were broken off. Well, there
1: were two tabs on top. Right.
0: If they were broken off, then they couldn't be either recorded from or recorded onto. I can't remember. It means
1: you can't record over what's there. So if you make a tape you really wanted to keep, Uh you'd snap those tabs off. Oh, is
0: that what they were for? Yeah. Okay. But you could put tape over those things and fool whatever sensed them, and that you could record right over it again. (laughs) That's right. But do you remember being a kid and wondering if— you were going to get in trouble for recording a song from the radio, like knowing that you were in some gray legal area that you weren't quite nah, sure about. Never, I was really, I did. yeah, yeah. I didn't worry about it. I worried about getting in trouble for it. Not from my parents because they clearly didn't care, uh-huh. uh, but my uh, my local law enforcement officers, well, the local government, maybe. have seen war
1: games, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they'll the, come to your house, <laughs> they'll come to your house and pull you out of your upstairs bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 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 tape industry, the cassette tape industry, was. Um, Putting a dent in record sales, and they were really threatened by it, and basically went to Congress and said, Hey, listen, I'd like you to pass an act, the Home Audio Recording Act, that um, puts a pretty heavy tax on these cassettes, mm-hmm. on these tape-to-tape decks that everyone's buying these days, and then we want all that money.
0: <laughs> like hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Yeah. And the in the music industry was like, and we've got a great system worked out. Ten um, percent of all that is going to go to all the artists, and then ninety percent is going to go to the record labels. Yeah,
1: some things never change.
0: Right. So um, they had this thing. It, there was it was a House bill HR twenty nine eleven, and it was in the Commerce Committee. Yeah. And the Commerce Committee was going to decide whether the RIAA got this tax money—a special tax just for the music industry—to kind of offset some of these perceived album sale losses. Um, that same committee, the Commerce Committee, mm-hmm. or uh, this committee and the, I'm sorry, the yeah, the Commerce Committee—also um, was decided to hold a hearing on the PMRC uh, and its its desire to start. Labeling records as explicit. So, was I mean, that was a s-
1: senatorial mm-hmm. hearing. Was that the Commerce Committee specifically? Yes. Okay, because I thought the conflict was the fact that members of the PMRC were married to people on that committee. I didn't know that that was an actual Commerce Committee hearing.
0: Yeah, I guess it wouldn't have been because it was H.R. 2911. So that would have been – the Commerce Committee then would have been in the in the House. And you're right. This was a Senate hearing. So, yeah, no conflict whatsoever. Totally fine.
1: <laughs> well, like I said, the conflict was the fact that four members of the PMRC were married to congressmen.
0: Right. So there was a conflict there. and Basically, the record industry wanted something from Congress, and Congress – now all of a sudden wanted something from the record industry which was to label their records as potentially offensive to whomever yeah which is a big deal and some people say that if the this if the record industry hadn't been greedy and wanted the hr 2911 out of congress mm-hmm. they they probably would have fought this tooth and nail and a lot of people in the industry stood up and said we're not going to take it, yeah. which will make a lot more sense in a couple of minutes. And um, pushed back and, like, did a, a lot of media tour and did a lot of interviews and spoke out about this and rallied, like, their listeners to say, like, this is wrong. And they may have successfully fought it had, they not, had the industry ultimately wanted H.R. Um, 2911 to pass, this tape tax to pass. And so they decided that they were going to play ball.
1: Yeah, and this was before the very famous hearing even happened. Nineteen record labels got on board and said, "Yeah, we'll we'll do this. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out a good system." Mm-hmm. And so the very famous hearing on September nineteenth, nineteen eighty five, with uh, <laughs> strange collection of humans, uh, John Denver, Frank Zappa, and Dee Snider
0: of Twisted Sister,
1: mm-hmm. it was moot. At that point.
0: So let's, well, before we get into the hearing and we got to back up a little bit, let's take a break real quick. You want to? Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back, everybody. Don't go anywhere.
2: Zigazoo has made
3: me zigzag.
0: All right, Chuck. So we should say I got to amend something I just said. I can't believe this. this. is so dumb. It's it's possible the record industry would have fought this a lot harder than they did had that tape tax not been in existence right. as a proposed bill. But that's not to say necessarily that they did because we got to give a little more background on the PMRC and what they did. One of the things that they were able to do because of their connections and because of their visibility was a, a media blitz. Yeah, over just a handful of months, they went from meeting in the in a church in Washington D.C. I think there were originally like nine members or something, to being on Donahue, the Today Show, um, editorials across the country. They just they made this a topic of national. They made a national conversation about explicit lyrics on album on on albums and, and whether the recording industry should do something about it. Out of Overnight they yeah. made it a thing so, as a result of that, um, legislation in state among the states started to pop up, saying, uh, forget whether the federal government's going to do it or not. We can do this ourselves. If you want to sell that record here in our state, you have to put a label on it. And I think there are at least a dozen states over over a very brief period of time that, that came up with legislation. Proposed le- legislation for this, so the P- the RIAA would have had a hard time of w- uh, fighting this off once the once the cat was out of the bag from the PMRC. Yeah, um, they could have still tried to fight it. The ACLU was like, "We're right right here, you guys. Yeah. Go ahead and pass one and see what happens." Yeah, but it still would have been just a, a huge, enormous problem. So the PMRC did start this, and some of the states took it up. So whether it was just the tape text or not. Or whether it was to try to stem off this legislation, um, the, the RIAA said, okay, we'll play ball. And like you said, they said, okay, we'll do this. And then they still held that Senate hearing, which I think goes to further the idea that this this was meant to, to bolster Al Gore's image because he was on that Senate hearing.
1: Yeah. So what the PMRC called for um, it was force explicit tags. Uh, rated X and just, you know, they kind of followed the MPAA's example Mm -hmm. of, of movie ratings. Which we did a great episode on that too. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, rated X for explicit sex or foul language. Mm -hmm. Uh, DA for drugs or alcohol, V for violence, O for occult, (laughs) which meant anything that's not, you know, good, strong Christian values, Uh anything weird. Uh, and so to, to illustrate this, they trotted out what is now known as the filthy 15. Yep. Um, and I think we should go through these. Oh yes. It's a list of fifteen songs and what they we, were tagged for.
0: We can't say all the titles.
1: Uh Darling Nikki, of course, um was tagged for, for sex.
0: At the top of the list, from what I understand. Oh yeah? I I think this is the accurate list, and I think like it may have been in, in some sort of order.
1: Oh, I don't think they were ranked as like this is the dirtiest of them all. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, this was the one that got Tipper. Uh Sheena Easton's Sugar Walls. Mm-hmm. You remember
0: that tune? No, and I went back and listened and Jerry's Nodding. And uh I uh I I didn't recognize it at all. Yeah, this was her big image change song
1: cuz she was sort of all American, not all American cuz she wasn't American, but you know, just sort of that clean image. Sure then she came out with Sugar Walls. Sure. And everyone's like, you know what that's about,
0: right? Gina Easton <laughs> knows about sex? Oh,
1: my God. Uh, Judas Priest, Eat Me
0: Alive. Okay. That's sex and violence. Depending on who you're talking to, but all right. <laughs> if it's if it's consensual sex and violence, then is it really violent?
1: Uh, I haven't heard of a bunch of these, actually. Strap On Robbie Baby from Vanity. I, I've never heard that one. I haven't either. But I can guess what it's about. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Motley Crue song, Bastard. For violence in language. I didn't know this song, but I looked up the lyrics. It is a rape revenge song. Oh, really? Yeah, it's about a woman, like, killing a man who, who tried to rape her.
0: That raises a really good point here, Chuck. And we'll get into this a little more, but I just want to point this out to everybody listening right now. I can't yeah. wait any longer. Uh-huh. One of the great things about the PMRC is that they provided endless amounts of entertainment to people who were opposed to them by r- grossly misinterpreting yeah. the lyrics of songs. Yeah. And, and th- that's a really good example.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and there are a few examples of that. Um, ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You. I think that's sweet. That's a song about love. Let me put my love into you.
0: Yeah. Open your heart (laughs) to my love.
1: Uh, Twisted sisters, we're not going to take it, which... It says violence for that. That that is hysterical because there's nothing violent in that song.
0: Not at all, and like De, zero. Dee Snider at the Senate hearings was like, apparently, somebody saw the video and you with the guy from Animal House, yeah, and mistook this cartoonish <laughs> violence. That if if you want to know, this was I'm a, I collect cartoons, and every single one of those acts of violence was taken from some of my favorite cartoons of all time. Yeah. So there's nothing in the song. No. So what's the what are you talking about here? Why would there be explicit an explicit lyrics warning on my album when there's no explicit lyrics? Yeah. And it's cartoonish violence in the video. Yeah. <laughs> this but this was on the list of of 15 that they used to say this is a good example of what's yeah. going on in the music industry.
1: I read a good art uh, interview with him. It was like thirty years on about the PMRC. Yeah, I read that too. And he said who they really wanted was Vince Neal <laughs> because Vince it was a party guy sure. and not super articulate, and it would have been a bloodbath.
0: Did they confuse them because they looked similar? Or? No,
1: no, no. I mean, I don't think they accidentally got D. Snyder, but he said that's kind of who they wanted was Vince Neal. Mm-hmm. But what they got instead was me, who D. Snyder very famously didn't drink or smoke or do drugs, mm-hmm. was a very articulate, kind of oh, well-spoken yeah. family man. Yep. And he throws a little shade to the Gore's way, and he's like, "I'm still married," mm-hmm. and the Gores are separated, and one of their kids was busted for drugs, mm-hmm. and like he's he, he he was even nice about it. Now he's like, "Look, marriage is hard. I don't want to make fun of them, but it's just interesting that I'm the one that they were picking on. Right. I'm still married to my wife 39 years later."
0: He also called her out because this whole thing started because she failed to read the lyrics. Of the Prince album before she listened to it with her little kid. Sure. And he's like, I've always read the lyrics or, yeah. or listened to a, an album before I've shared it with my kids. That, that's a parent's job. I've always done this, and uh, like he he goes even like when Tenacious D's first album came out, he said his whole family loved it, but he made um he made a, a version of it without one of the songs. <laughs> I know it. I'll bet you do. Um, <laughs> for his kids, so they could enjoy Tenacious D, but oh, they weren't ready for this uh-huh. other song. D. Snyder's basically. One of the top heroes of this, if not the top hero of this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and do you remember we met him? Kind of said hi. Oh, wait. Where was that? The Whatever Show with Alexis and Jennifer. Right. He was on at the same time as us. That's right. Yep. It, because he was in Rock of Ages. So he was on Yeah. I totally forgot about that. It was, it was wonderful. It, one of them was Martha Stewart's daughter? Is Alexis that right? was. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Totally forgot about that whole thing. You did? Yeah. Uh, Madonna, dress you up.
0: Yeah, Madonna, if you read quotes from her about this, she's like, yeah, whatever. She doesn't care. It's like a Tuesday for me.
1: Uh, The band Wasp, if you remember them.
0: We are sex perverts is what Wasp stands for. Oh, really? They were like a proto guar kind of. And please don't kill me if you're a Guar fan and I'm way off. It makes sense to outsiders.
1: I, did that really stand for that, or was that like kids in Satan service?
0: No, that's what it stood for. Okay, they were like it was like a big stage show and like human blacky Lawless, right?
1: Yes, and he I remember he wore a uh, a cod piece that shot out. It was wired to pyrotechnics and like shot sparks out.
0: There was also okay. a cod piece with like a saw, I think a chainsaw on it. Okay, kind of like a sure pre that whole horrible scene in Seven. But oh, I yeah. think I think the one the way he was approaching it was a little more funny <laughs> and just kind of lighthearted than the seven one. Good lord!
1: Uh, so their song "Animal," sex, language, and violence it covered all three, but not
0: a cult. No, 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 <laughs> a cult. Def uh, Leppard, "High and Dry," uh, yeah. parentheses Saturday Night is about drinking. Okay, all right, uh, and they even said like, yeah, it's about drinking. People like to. Have fun on Saturday night sometimes, yeah right. <laughs> um m- merciful fate into the coven, and I think that was um King Diamonds. Band originally,
1: yes, he was Merciful Fate singer.
0: So they theirs was a cult, and it was like overtly occult stuff, like come come serve Satan with me, it's yeah. fun, kill your parents kind of thing. Yeah. But don't really, you right. little psychotic <laughs> sixteen year old, this is not for real. This is just music, and I'm trying to sell records exactly.
1: by p- painting my face.
0: Plus, also one of the other points that I think a lot of people made too was, you're not going to find Merciful Fates into the coven on Casey Kasem's Top 40 ever. Like, you would really have to go find this thing. Yeah, there were no songs on the radio. And even if you do find it, well, then if your kid's listening to Merciful Fate, have a conversation with your kid about what they're listening to and what Merciful Fate's saying and just how real or non-real it is. Engage your child.
1: And also, um, you will not be the one parent in the history of the world that— stops your child from listening to or watching something that they want to listen to or watch.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. when, when <laughs> It's impossible. When Licensed to Ill came out, um, I, I knew like every word sure. on the album, front to back. And uh, one of them, I was like, singing it out loud to my parents about smoking that dust at St. Anthony's Feast. Uh-huh. And they were like, it was funny. They didn't say anything immediately, but they did look at each other. And like a day or two <laughs> later, they approached me and they're like, Josh, you know that song, that Beastie Boy song where they're talking about smoking dust? Are they talking about angel dust, PCP? And I was like, I don't know, probably. And they're like, you can't listen to that anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, and but that's one of the points, though, that Ed makes in this article is that like a kid probably doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think research has even shown that lyrically people are more prone to Bring their own experience
0: into something, mm-hmm. especially a kid. Well, also, I I legitimately remember, I can put myself back at that time, and hearing that, I wasn't like, huh, Angel Dust, huh? Maybe right. I'll give that a try. Yeah, of course Thanks, not. Ad Rock. That's <laughs> yeah. a great idea. I really <laughs> didn't think like that. No. You know? And I think most people don't. Not Ironically, great. if you're under the influence of Angel Dust, then lyrics are super suggestive. Probably so. But you have to do the Angel Dust <laughs> first. <laughs> Uh Sabbath's uh
1: trashed, obviously about drugs and alcohol.
0: That's not Osborne or Dio Sabbath either.
1: It's not either one of those? No. Who was it? Ian
0: Gillum? No, I don't even know. I had to look him up. It's fine. It sounds a bit like um a little more melodic motorhead. Okay. It sounds motorheady. It's not my kind of Sabbath.
1: Uh Mary Jane Girls in my house. I don't know anything about that. Dude.
0: That's been in my head all day. Yeah, I don't know that group. It's a good song.
1: Is it what is it?
0: In my house.
1: Is it rap or is it? In my house. Well, that
0: doesn't clue me in anymore. You've TV heard this style. song before. <laughs> it's not rap. It's the Mary Jane Girls. Um, Never they were heard like a them. girl girl group that Rick James put together. Oh, ah, Okay. Super eighties like sexy. Um, it's fine. Like the like it wouldn't you would not bat an eyelash over it today. Right. Venom, possessed. Never heard of them.
1: A cult. Okay. And then finally, <laughs>
0: this is great.
1: Cindy Lauper with her very famous masturbation song, She Bop.
0: So you knew it was about masturbation? No. Okay. I didn't know.
1: Until I read the words today and I'm like, oh, well, that's about
0: masturbation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said that she thought she like, like a Bop a Day kept the doctor away. So she was recommending it. And that's sure. why she made that song. <laughs> I got the impression she's a little <laughs> embarrassed as an adult for having.
1: About release the song? that
0: song, but not uh, apologetic
1: no she Cindy Lauper apologizes to no man.
0: We saw a show of hers once she's good
1: uh a concert mm-hmm. yeah I um you know, I went to that chris that Halloween party of hers one time, no, in the nineties my she has a big Halloween bash every year at her place in New York, and my friend John Abraham mm-hmm. was a member of the fan club, and I think he could get like. Early tickets or something. Oh, that's cool! So he got us all tickets, and we went, and I met Cindy Lauper. And she's cool. Party at her Halloween party, which was so much fun.
0: She's um, like she spends a lot of time and money, like helping out LGBTQ youth who've been kicked out onto the street by she's their parents. Great. Yeah, it's like a legitimately great person. Yeah, she's totally and talented too. Very much so. <laughs> she bops, Cindy. She bops. That's right. Uh, so
1: that's the Filthy Fifteen. That's what they trotted out. Um, And this is when I guess we need to get in a little bit to the fact that it seems sort of okay, even me as a parent now, to be like, well, you know what? There's nothing wrong with a rating system because as a parent, you want to know what's going on, and that just helps us. That's a bit of shorthand for us. Sure, But um, it wasn't a voluntary thing because very soon what started happening is uh, they started – people started doing interviews and – on the PMRC, people in the government, and it was clear that they were trying to get, get be rid of this stuff. Well, yes, like, get it out of stores.
0: Ed puts it like drive
1: them out of business.
0: Yeah, kind of that. Like we have, they have different views than ours. We don't like it. Yep. They considered themselves the moral majority, um, which was ascendant thanks to a, a basically a pact with Ronald Reagan. They helped got Reagan. Or get Reagan elected, and Reagan like made the Christian right um, very prominent in, in in powerful in American politics in the eighties. And there, I read this. One of my favorite things to do, Chuck, when we're researching stuff like this is to read contemporary articles at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't know the outcome, and they also know tons of details that get lost to time over history. But I was reading this, like, long-form L.A. Times article about this whole thing Mm -hmm. written right smack dab in the middle of it. And um, they quoted this one guy who was like, this is part of a movement. Like, everybody's looking at it like – It's just about censoring records. They're like, no, these same people tried to get rid of the last temptation of Christ. Right. They tried to get funding pulled for the National Endowment for the Humanities. Yeah. This is like part of a larger thing that they're trying to do and they're trying to sanitize Uh, American popular culture to their tastes. And what you were saying, I think, is that in interviews and at the Senate hearings, some of the people on the PMRC side, including PMRC members, basically said like, yeah, we're trying to censor this. Which, it's one thing if you go into it saying that, because then the people who are opposed to you know where you stand. Yeah. But the PMRC, their whole position they talked out of both sides of their mouth, and one of the sides—the side that they said the loudest—was, "We're not trying to censor anything. We're trying to get the record industry to do this voluntarily. Yeah. We just like happen we're a to private be, group. right? We just happen to be married to these senators and these congressmen and like right. these cabinet members, um, and that has nothing to do with anything. But if you look at the context of everything, it was—it's voluntary. But if you don't do it, we're going to put you out of business, or we're going to have the government do it, and that is censorship. It's also unconstitutional." When the government gets into that, that's unconstitutional. And probably every single law like this would have been thrown right out by the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, well, which is one big reason why this wasn't a law. There Mm -hmm. was never legislation proposed. It was always voluntary from a private group Mm -hmm. to a corporation.
0: But Frank Zappa at those hearings said... Well, wait a minute. (laughs) If this has nothing to do with legislation, if this has nothing to do with law, why are we holding Senate hearings on a private group trying to uh, get a private action, voluntary action undertaken? What are we doing here? And he really revealed like the the theater behind the whole thing. Got rid of all the set dressing and showed it for what it was, which was a stab at censorship.
1: Uh, This guy, Jeff Ling. Part of the PMRC said, do I think it should be out of stores? Sure, I do. I think labeling will do that. Uh, Another PMRC member, Sally uh, Nebius, said, "Uh, we want the industry to police itself. If they refuse, we're going to look into legal ways to stop what we feel is contributing to the delinquencies of minors. Pat Boone very famously said, "Uh, that's what the Constitution had in mind, self-imposed, majority-approved censorship. Mm. Uh, So, I mean, they were blatant about it. About the fact that not only were they trying to legislate morality, if it came, push came to shove, they would try and do that. Right. But uh, to Pat Boone, straight up saying, like, yeah, if if the majority wants it, sure, censor art, Mm -hmm. which is just really scary.
0: Oh, it is scary. There was a woman named Judith Toth who introduced legislation in Maryland uh, for record labeling. And um, she apparently told Frank Zappa to stop worrying about civil rights. Yeah. Which is not a phrase you want to go down in history as, as famously saying.
1: Yeah. And, and Frank Zappa is the last person you want to say that to. <laughs> okay. You know, Vince Neal probably would have been like, all right. Yeah. Fine. Sure. Where's the Jack Daniels? Right. <laughs> uh, and even there was a senator, uh, a Democratic senator there named James uh, Exon uh-huh. of Nebraska. And he even said, like, what are we doing
0: here? Well, okay. <laughs> and I was like, hero. Guy's a hero for saying that. No, not a hero for he, saying that. He but. wanted to know because he was in favor of of censoring.
1: Yeah, but he he was like, there was no legislation on the floor. Like, why is it here in front of the Commerce Committee? Right.
0: I took it to mean like he was like, well, what? Are we, this is this is this is inappropriate. Then this is not right. But no, he was like, well, I thought we were here to to censor things. It turns out. Yeah. If you watch the Frank Zappa testimony um it happens in the first couple minutes that whole thing
1: oh yeah i watched a lot of this well i watched it back in the day some too but uh re some of it mm-hmm. um john denver was great he was the one he had the most impact of everyone because mm-hmm. i think they thought john denver was going to come in there and pat boone mr squeaky clean yeah and pat boone it up mm-hmm. and he came out hard on a couple of things he was like first of all you think my song rocky mountain high is about smoking dope right It's not. Like, you're wrong. I wrote it. (laughs) It's about feeling the euphoria of nature. Mm
0: -hmm. In the Rockies, specifically. Yeah,
1: in the the Rockies (laughs) in Colorado. Uh, And not only that, but um, you shouldn't be doing this. And they were like, wait. We called you in here because we thought you might be friendly to a, our committee.
0: A2 Denver. And he
1: said, hey, I am friendly. I'm John Denver. But you shouldn't be doing this.
0: And <laughs> They all clapped. It's funny. If you watch the Frank Zappa testimony, they introduce him. And my brain was like waiting for applause and like cheers. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a Senate hearing. <laughs> right? They don't do that there. They only applaud themselves. Um, but so, yeah, let's pause for a second here and and point something out, Chuck. Um we just talked about a Senate hearing where John Denver, Frank Zappa, and Dee Snider from Twisted Sister testified. That's a pretty significant Senate hearing. In the 80s it is. It really is. I think it is. I think it's landmark now. Um, So you want to talk a little more about the hearings and then we'll take a break in a little bit? Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay, so the, the guy who's most frequently, actually all three of them are, but Frank Zappa really— kind of laid it down. He brought Moon Unit and Dweezil with him. And uh, they were, I don't know if they got to testify, but they came so that they could testify as concerned teens who were worried about their free speech. Yeah. And Frank Zappa really pointed it out. He said that, first of all, I think this is the parents' concern, not the government's concern. um, And that uh, I've got four children. Two of them are here. That was Moon Unit and Dweezil. I just like saying both of their names. I want them to grow up in a country where they can think what they want to think, be what they want to be, and not what somebody's wife or somebody in government makes them be, which is pretty, pretty wise words. Yeah. Although he does say, there's a little watchword in there, wife. Wife got thrown around a lot during this from the opposing side. And I think... It it just danced along the the edge of being denigrating. I think like you're a Washington wife. Go stay in your lane. Oh right. Don't worry about big stuff like this. You know it, it almost kind of smacked of it whenever it came up. Washington wives or wives or ladies. It just seemed just just kind of denigrating here or there. Mm, go I, back and I, listen. You'll see it.
1: I heard it, but I I had a different take than you did. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. And Frank Zappa actually was mislabeled too later. He had a a word lyric free instrumental album <laughs> that was tagged with explicit lyric.
0: Yeah. Because somebody in a record store was like, Oh yeah, he, he testified against the PMRC. Man,
1: it's so sad what's going on with his family.
0: What's going on with his family?
1: Uh just infighting, oh really divided sides, suing each other.
0: Oh no. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, are Moon Unit and Dweezil on the same side or opposing sides? I believe, um, oh, man, I went down the rabbit hole on this
1: not too long ago. I think Dweezil and well, I know Dweezil and Ahmet are completely on opposite sides. Oh, no. And I think Ahmet and the mom have control of.
0: I think the mom's dead. No. Oh, okay.
1: No, I think they're in control of the catalog. Okay. And we're like, you can't play dad's music anymore. Uh, And so I think Dweezil and Moon, I think, are on one side. And there's another sister. Uh But, yeah, it's a complete house divided. That's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. All, yeah, it's all money.
0: All right, let's take a break because I'm bummed out now. All right, we're back. We shook off the whole Zappa drama. Well, now it's back again. So part of the problem here with these
1: stickers was and is that, um, well, it's – there's a few things. First of all, what we've been talking about with misinterpreting these lyrics, you've got somebody else deciding, well, this is what this person meant when they wrote it. Mm. So it deserves a sticker, whether it's John Denver or – uh, Twisted Sister with their song Under the Blade was about, you know, the guitarist for that band was having throat surgery mm-hmm. and was scared. Mm-hmm. So Dee Snyder wrote a song about uh, the being scared going into surgery and going under the blade. Right. And they thought it was a song about, like, killing people with a knife.
0: Exactly. So that's a big problem. That's a big problem in and of itself. Well, you get past that by training somebody, right? I mean, you, you, you <laughs> find a... Uh, An elite group of people who have all studied comparative literature extensively, probably have doctorates in it, and you pay them a significant amount of money to work at each record label to go through the songs that come out and decide which ones deserve a label. Yeah, the 30,000, 40,000
1: songs that come out each year. Right.
0: That's what you do, and that's what they did, right? No. Okay, (laughs) they didn't. I knew they didn't.
1: No, and it's funny to go back to that Under the Blade thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dee Snyder very famously was like, that that's not about BDSM. That is all in Tipper Gore's mind apparently.
0: Well, he, and Al yeah. got
1: mad. Yeah. He got really mad. Oh, did he? Oh yeah. He was livid. In the series? Hearing.
0: In the hearing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that part.
1: Yeah. He was really ticked off at D. Snyder.
0: So yeah, D. Snyder said that and that became kind of a talking point um on the opposing side was like basically painting Tipper Gore is like this lascivious, like dirty-minded like, lady. Be, like <laughs> pent-up housewife who like couldn't 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 stop herself from talking about BDSM and things yeah. like that. Um and then not just not just Tipper, but also some of the other people, um, they were kind of painted as people who were just basically getting off on talking about this stuff on the the Today show or Good Morning America. Yeah. Which like just brings them right up to the line between like earnestness and performance art. And like they were they were almost saying like these people are 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 like putting you on almost. Yeah. Because I mean the idea that somebody's walking around getting off on it is just such a cartoonish yeah. Freudian sketch of a person that but this is this is where the talking points were on both sides. Yeah. Prince is talking about darling Nikki masturbating. All you want to do is talk about masturbating in the in the in the mass media. Right. It was basically verbatim quotes is what I just said. Well, I mean, that's the
1: irony of it all is the word masturbate Mm -hmm. had probably not been used that much in public like ever. Right. Then because of these hearings. And and certainly not on
0: on Good Morning America or anything like that, (laughs) but it was the very people who were decrying it who were the ones that were bringing it to the masses.
1: Oh, dear. Uh, A few more songs. Uh, Ozzy's Suicide Solution song, which is anti-suicide. Uh, about alcoholism, was mm-hmm. promoted by the PMRC as a suicide-encouraging song. Right. So they're just getting it all wrong.
0: They are. So, okay. So you've got a subjective thing. By definition, judging lyrics and interpreting them is pretty subjective.
1: 100% subjective.
0: You're not going to go to the trouble of of training people to do this job correctly. Right. At least you're going to come up with a set of coherent criteria and guidelines that can be applied across the board, Right. no no No,
1: they didn't do any of that and it wasn't applied across the board because Mm. in the end uh and this was a a survey in portland oregon only (laughs) in
0: 1994
1: but let's say we could extrapolate this across the country um eight percent of cds and cassettes total had parental advisory stickers 59 percent of rap albums 13% 13% heavy metal, 1% mainstream pop, mm-hmm. and no country albums had stickers.
0: Which is pretty rich considering there's a guy named David Allen Coe yeah. and Hank Jr. and yeah. Walk Tosh and all that. All they
1: sang about was drinking and doing drugs. Getting in
0: fights and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Vi- sex, violence. And drugs and drinking. Yep. Yep. And they had zero parental advisory. So that smacked of a lot. And again, that's an extremely narrow sample record stores in Portland, Oregon. But it, it gets across some people's points on the opposing side, like, no, this isn't <laughs> this isn't about like values. It's about what they're threatened by. Yeah. They're threatened by like rap music and heavy metal. They're okay with everything else. And this is proof positive of that. They that probably position. didn't even
1: run the country songs through the process. Sure. That'd be my guess. Yeah. I'm sure they just targeted groups. You know? Mm-hmm. So finally, um, well, like we said, they already, the uh, IAA had already decided pre-hearing that they were going to do this. And they said, all right, we're going to figure this out. Should just take us about five years. (laughs) (laughs) And what the plan may have been was like, maybe this will all just go away.
0: I think that, yeah, that was part of it. But I think also um, they realized that like they were going to, they were going to have to it would stem off that legislation, and it worked. Yeah. If you read some of the contemporary reports with legislators who brought legislation to their state houses, they say, "Well, since they agreed to play ball, we're 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 sending our bill." But we've got it over here. If they don't end up playing ball after all, yeah. So it really did work. Oh yeah. But they did it like a couple of days or a couple of weeks before the um the committee, the Commerce Committee, voted on the tape tax. Yeah. And the RIA didn't get their tape tax.
1: No, they did not. (laughs) Um, But what did happen was those stickers in March of 1990 started coming out. Uh, I remember going to the store and seeing those for the first time. (gasps) I got to buy that
0: one. (laughs) Well, that's kind of what happened, too, in some cases. Do you know what the first album that had the first sticker was? Was there a first album? If you could guess, yes, if you could guess what album that came out in 1990 just guess who would have gotten the first explicit lyrics Oh, man. Sticker.
1: I don't know. Jane's Addiction?
0: Two Live Crew. Oh, of course. Band in the USA was the first album to to get an explicit lyrics sticker.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, these stickers started coming out, and it had a, it had a, a ripple effect in a big way, but in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from... Steven Tyler getting on stage and saying thank you, Tipper Gore, <laughs> because you throw some four-letter words on an album and now you're going to get another million in sales because right. kids were looking to buy those records.
0: It just It's forbidden fruit.
1: All the way to the other side of the coin, which is Walmart or certain states saying we're not even going to carry these records. That was part of it. In stores.
0: It also became an easy target for local law enforcement that decided that they were going to enact their own laws. Right. Like um, in Broward County, Florida, which is around Miami, where Miami is, um, the Broward County Sheriff sent out some deputies with their badges, full uniform, to go by record stores and said, hey, just wanted to give you a friendly little heads up. If you guys sell any more of those two live crew albums, we're going to arrest you. Yeah. We don't want to, but we wanted to give you a heads up first. Two live crew found out about it and were like, mm, "That's prior restraint on free speech." Yeah, and they won. They won in the Supreme Court, actually. But this kind of thing, it was like, as as the Grabster put it, the censors were emboldened by the 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 um, the, the response from the PMRCs. Idea. Oh yeah, for sure. And these labels were, hey. Go after these guys, and not just the records. Like when artists came to town, they would get arrested yeah. for their performances. In 1989, nine performers were arrested in Georgia alone for their concerts. Yeah, from Bobby Brown to Gene Simmons.
1: Yeah, and that's what uh, Dee Snyder and that that sort of 30 years later thing said is, you know, it worked in one way because they sequestered, which is maybe all they wanted was they sequestered a certain group of artists from the rest. Yep. And that sequestration, like you said, ranged from now they can, they're can they following where they're touring mm-hmm. and cops are going to show up there to uh, Walmart saying, not going to carry this unless you change this album cover or this lyric or the song title right. to something ridiculous. <laughs> like <laughs> Nirvana's uh, song Rape Me was very famously changed on the album. The title to Waif Me.
0: Nothing about the song,
1: but they didn't change the song itself. <laughs> no. But if you look on the back of that in utero album cover, it says "Waif Me,"
0: but it's even like crossed out and then written in Sharpie <laughs> "Waif."
1: It's not, but it should have been. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so it, you know, it had a big ripple effect in a lot of ways. People were, um, and and I guess before this, they had always had radio safe versions, sure, of some songs.
0: Well, yeah, you just weren't going to get radio play,
1: right? But now it's like the albums need to be. Like Radio Safe,
0: like, right? Like you listen else, to in your home, or else Walmart won't sell them, or whatever. That's a big retailer. It was even back then. Yeah. Um. So, so there was a a, a negative that slippery slope that the PMRC had had carried the the nation across. St- we started to slide down it, and actual legitimate censorship took place as a result. Yeah. And then the the way that all of this happened, the way it was able to happen, was because there was a gatekeeper, there was a funnel for the record industry to the public, and the PMRC was able to go to them and say, you've got something, we've got something you want, mm-hmm. you got something we want, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. And just by the fact that the the record industry is not like it was back then, mm-hmm. they're no longer the gatekeepers, like if you make music, you can sell directly to your yeah. your fans, um, you've got some you know, a few digital platforms that, that do some kind of explicit stuff and and or labeling or something. It's, They're still there. It's there. And I think if you still can buy a record, I didn't know anybody still bought like physical CDs or whatever, but it can still come with a, oh, yeah. a, a sticker. Um, but it's just changed, it's just different. And if you listen to stuff today and then you listen to that filthy 15, yeah, you're like you're, you've got to be kidding me! I mean, yeah. So it's almost like the 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 PMRC went and put their finger in a dike that didn't even really need it, and in doing so, they exploded, and the floodgates, the flood just came and overwhelmed them. Yeah, and just by the number of 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 songs that were released and the amount of just filthiness <laughs> that was. Attendant in those songs, it was just it became normalized. Yeah, rather than the exact opposite, which is what the PMRC was was working for.
1: Yeah, and what what didn't happen is our generation, mm-hmm. which was the generation of the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it turns out we did not grow up to just be a bunch of degenerates. Well, that, that uh, was going to be the ruin of our country.
0: It's true, though. Because I, of music. And I think that that is ultimately like what, what parents tell themselves they're really worried about is that their kid is going to become morally unhygienic and the country will go down the hill one way or another. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, it, it just doesn't seem to pan out ever yeah. despite it being such an ongoing and old worry. You know,
1: Jazz was going to be the end of moral society. <laughs> then rock and roll.
0: Yeah, it's true. Uh, although I have to say the PMRC did give us Glenn Danzig's song Mother, which is apparently an ode to Tipper Gore in the PMRC. Oh, really? If you go and read the lyrics, you're like, oh, okay.
1: PMRC was in a bunch of songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, those those four letters appeared in a lot of uh, rock and roll songs, hip-hop songs. Yeah. They got a lot of attention, and maybe that's all they wanted.
0: Well, we just gave them some more. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, they're no longer around. They, no. Bro- they broke up the band in the 90s. <laughs> and do you know when? Do you know when Tipper quit? Uh, 95? No, 92 when oh, her yeah, husband yeah. became vice president. Yeah. And then now you can see her sitting in with the Grateful Dead on drums.
0: <laughs> Smoking grass. They never did All drugs. she talks about is grass now. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about the PMRC, well, I don't think there is anything more to know. But go look around, read some contemporary articles. It's fun. Uh, and since I said contemporary articles, it's time for listener mail.
1: Uh, I'm going to call this short and sweet. Remember in the uh, olive oil episode, I said something about Greeks and Italians, like, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. I got support on that Okay, uh, from a, a Greek gentleman. Apparently, uh, it's a thing. He said, I think you'll uh, be pleased, Chuck, to find out that you didn't offend anyone when you said Greeks and Italians are the same. In fact, there's actually a phrase, una faccia una raza. Or in Greek, mia Fatza mia raza, meaning one face, one race. Often used to express the perception of close cultural affinities between Greeks and Italians. Oh, Nick. Uh, keep, keep up the good work, guys. That is from uh, Nick Kantos.
0: Well done, Chuck. And I bet you Nick Kantos is Greek. <laughs> I'm, good. I'm good. Hey, does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't. Um, well, thanks a lot, Nick. That was a very nice email to send to support Chuck because I left him hanging high and dry. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go onto our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com, and you'll find our social links all over the place. I also have a website called thejoshclarkway.com, and you can send me, Chuck, and Jerry an email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.
2: on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com hey sarah i love that spring break vlog you posted on zigazoo omg you watched it yeah it was so cool i think you're so talented
1: Hey, everyone. The Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right. Easter is Sunday, March 31st. And with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com slash Easter for details.